Good morning, Lake City. It is so good to see your beautiful eyes. <laughs> One day I look forward to seeing your beautiful smiles, but I can see by the aisles the smiles are there as well. It's just a joy to be able to share with you God's Word and to conclude this sermon series on 2 Thessalonians as we look at what God, God's Word has for us today. It's interesting as you look through the passages of Scripture and you go, what are the sections? When you look at the section we're going to be talking about this morning, it is uh, a subheading is warning against idleness. And when I thought about that passage of Scripture and the fact that we are in a coronavirus epidemic and people have been in quarantine, I thought, oh, help me, Holy Spirit, to, uh, to share this word in a way that is meaningful for us and connects with us in a way. And so when you think about idleness, look about it from the other side of the equation, and that is the fact that your work matters to God. What you do matters to God. Your work matters to him. Now think about this. Next to sleep, work is probably the second most largest chunk of time that you spend with your life. Whether you have a home business or you work at home, whatever the color of your collar in the terms of the work that you do, whether you're a, a person who works with their brains or their brawn or a combination of those things, your work matters to God. You ever heard the expression? I know I've been told a couple of times when I was real little, Mark, when they made you, they threw away the mold. You ever been told that? Well, really, in a sense, when God made you, he set aside the mold. You are a unique creation in terms of his eyes and mind and sight. You have unique gifts, talents, skills, and abilities to be able to pour into service and work of others that no other person or people can do. And when you think about work, you can see it as a means of doing ministry unto God. It's a thing that develops our character. It also, in a sense, is our mission field that puts you as a follower of Jesus in a place where maybe no other follower of Jesus might be. You know, even our work ethics as followers of Jesus affects the life of our church in terms of what we pour into what we do. There are no menial jobs. There are only menial attitudes. So with those things in mind of thinking about how our work matters to God, let's take a look at our text for this morning, 2 Thessalonians 3, verses 6 through 17. And these are the words of our Lord. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any one of you. It was not because that we do not have the rights, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. 
As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuous every time, every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And so as we think about this thought about our work matters to God, we ask the question, why work matters to God? And to kind of walk us through this letter of 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1 really was a word of hope and encouragement for a church that was in persecution, and that persecution was probably even going to get worse for them. And then in the second chapter, Pastor Jim did a tremendous job of helping us understand the end times and what to know in terms of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we need to understand that and to correct false teachers who were confusing the saints about what all of that meant. And finally, in the third chapter of Second Thessalonians, Paul focuses on a problem that has been in the church probably since its founding, and that are members of the church who are idle, not working and being busybodies. And so when we think about these things, we want to realize, in a sense, what Paul was saying was to encourage people to do the work of God. So let's look at some things. First off, really, it's kind of a theology of work. When you think about a theology, it's looking where Scripture teaches throughout the Bible and putting it all together, and to think about what the Bible says about why your work matters to God. So the first thing for us to realize is that God is a worker. God himself is a worker. And I love Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, where it says, So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God rested from all of his work. Now, through the spoken word, he he formed the word into being. He took the man Adam out of the dust and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils. He took from Adam's rib the woman Eve, and they became husband and wife. And all of this, God talks about being God's work. God's work as the creator God, God's work as the sustainer God, that even now God is sustaining all of creation to continue to go and to function. If God were to say today, I'm going to take a comp day and stop working, the world would not be as it is anymore. God is also a worker in terms of his providence of ordering all of the things together so all things work well. And when you think about the fact that you were created in God's image, a part of your operating system inside of you is the operating system of a worker as well. As God is a worker, so are you as a part of your image. And this is something that is really amazing that God gave these instructions before the fall in terms of what Adam and Eve were to do. They were to be fruitful and multiply the earth, and they were to tend and to work in the garden. So even before the fall, what were the instructions? Have babies and go to work in the garden. That's the, that's the command that God gave. 
Although after the fall there was a curse to work and by the sweat of our brow, we're still to redeem work as a gift that God has given to us. So we also see that Jesus is a worker as well. In a number of scriptures, he says that in John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In John 5, 17, but Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. In John 9, 4, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. So the very plan of God, Jesus coming to earth for those 33 years, was to do the Father's work. And this is amazing when you think about the years that Jesus was on the face of this planet. He spent about 20 years as a carpenter, and he spent about three years as a preacher. Isn't that interesting? More time as a carpenter than as a preacher. But to be an example and a model to us as one who works and one who does the work of salvation and the work of redemption in our lives. So we see that God is a worker, but also we see that God commands us to work. You and I are commanded to work. And we see this in Exodus chapter 20, verse 9. God says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you work, shall you labor and do all your work. And the seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. Now, this was something I really hadn't caught before. I'm sure you recognize these as the part of the Ten Commandments. It's the fourth commandment talking about the Sabbath day to keep it holy. But also captured in that command is the command, for six days shall you work. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, I only work Monday through Friday. What about that sixth day? Well, that's the time to cut the grass and to catch up on all the chores and all of the other things that you couldn't do because you were so busy working Monday through Friday. But we have in the very commandments itself that we are commanded to work. We're commanded not to steal. We're commanded not to commit adultery. And we're also commanded to to work. How amazing that is. So if we are people of sound mind and sound body, God's commandment is for us to work. The next thing that we see that work is a gift from God. Work is God's gift to you and to me. And we see this that comes from the, uh, the letter of Ecclesiastes, a very interesting letter in the Old Testament. You could think about it as a very rich man having a midlife crisis as he's going through all of these things. I've tried all of these pleasures. I've accumulated all of this wealth. What is life meant to be about? And he tells us in Ecclesiastes 5.19, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy him and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. You see, it's a means for us to glorify God as we produce, sustain, maintain, invent, create, and do all of those different things with our God-given ability. And work really is a part of the thing that gives us meaning and purpose in our lives. And I'm sure many people realize this in the midst of the COVID crisis when millions of people were laid off and lost their jobs. And if you've ever been in that place, you know how that just hurts on the inside 
to lose that means of vocation and work. It's like a piece of you is missing that you long to have that piece back. And you realize what a gift work is when we have it to be able to do those things that we desire to do. To provide for the means that we need to live and for others. It's a means to participate in the common good and to serve humanity. And just consider that what beneficiaries we are to the work of all that is around us. I mean, even at this very moment, you are wearing clothes that were designed and weave fabrics that were woven together, shoes that were put together. You're the beneficiary of a tech team and a worship team putting together a worship service. You're sitting in a chair that was made and shipped and delivered. That everything around us, we are the beneficiaries, one and another, of the work that we do. And did you ever just that experience of a job well done after a hard day of work where you just feel so good? I I imagine you can say amen to this, but I'm so thankful during the COVID crisis that they kept Lowe's and Home Depot's open. (laughs) Probably never in America have yards and uh, inside home decorations been at a higher level than the history of America, maybe. And and one of my stay sane during quarantine projects was to build a a circular paving stone patio in my backyard with my sons and my son-in-law. And man, we worked like dogs digging that and putting in the stones and, you know, to finally look and see what we had created with our hands to go, wow, that's good. And I even found myself thanking God for the people through their hard work who invented Motrin and delivered to the store so I could partake of it. And say, thank God for folks who do this hard work day in and day out to make beautiful things and to construct and to build. And when I think about that purpose and meaning of life, and I think about just the the sad pictures of some of the riots and things that are going on. And I wonder if you look at the reasons in the people's lives in terms of the riots, I wonder if idleness is one of those components that they don't have meaningful work and meaningful labor to pour their lives into. So really, that's just to give you a backdrop of why work is so important and why work matters to God and why work is a gift of God. And I think if we didn't understand those things, you might read the words of Paul and to say, man, why was he so worked up about this whole thing about idleness? It's because of all this truth that was there. So the question for us is, what do you do with believers who are stuck in idle? And you see, a a person, when they come to faith, they are a product of their culture, and they bring those components of their culture to their faith, sometimes for strength and sometimes are, are liabilities. And the church in Thessalonica came from a Greek culture. And it was interesting, the perspective of the Greek culture in Thessalonica was that Work was demeaning. That if you were a title of a free man, that the people who were doing work in those times were the slaves. And I was amazed when I looked at 25% to one-third of the population in ancient Greece during that time were slaves. And they did the work, and the freedmen were to pursue philosophy and arts and all of these things. And Homer, and I'm not talking about Bart's dad... I'm talking about the Greek philosopher, Homer. He said this. He said he believed the gods created work because they hated men. How does that fire you up to go to work (laughs) each and every day? 
along with the, the culture from the Greeks that may have made people idle was also the Jewish perspective that the highest calling was to study the Torah or the law of God. And the second string was to have a job or to work. And then the third component very likely was this bad theology about the end times thinking, well, why bother? You know, it's all happening, so why should I go to work? I'm just going to sit on my pajamas on my roof and wait for God to return. And so all of these things were probably affecting the church in a negative way, and some of the people, in a sense, were not working. But we can also see this in our own culture sometimes as well, that our worldview influences our work view. So I'm going to give you a test on some bumper stickers to see how you know them to talk about work, okay? I owe, and you, uh, you fill in, the, you fill in the, the bumper sticker for me, okay? I owe, I owe, it's off. All right, perfect. <laughs> I'd rather be? Yeah, fill in your text. You know, whatever you would rather be. Thank God it's? Yeah, not thank God it's Thursday or Wednesday. Thank God it's? Friday. So all of this bumper sticker philosophy, what is that telling us? That I just put up with Monday through Friday so I can really live large when it comes to Saturday and Sunday. And that can affect our perspective on work and what work is all about. Here's a great bumper sticker as well. Work fascinates me. I could just watch it all day. <laughs> And then there was a want ad in a Gloucester paper in England, and it was an employment service that was looking to hire people to do cleaning services. And they wanted to put in the ad, must be very reliable and hardworking. And the bureaucrat of the newspaper said, we can't do that because we might be sued for discriminating against unreliable people. <laughs> Whoa! So those things maybe sometimes affect our work ethic and what work matters to God and our role and responsibility in it. Sometimes we think we just work to finance our pleasures or to pay off our debts or to elevate our lifestyles or just to get stuff. But what Paul is talking about, and he uses the word three times here, is this word idle. And it's a fascinating word. You only see it here in 2 Thessalonians and what it really means is a person who is walking out of step. It's almost like you have a formation of soldiers walking in lockstep, and then there's one who's totally out of step. Or it's used as an apprentice who doesn't show up to work. And so what they had in the church, they had the saints of sloth who were refusing to work, and they were sponging off the rest of the church. And it's interesting when God commands us about certain temptations and things that we ought to pay attention to them because we can be liable to give in to those temptations sometimes. A couple of Proverbs that talk about laziness. Proverbs 13.4, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Proverbs 24, the sluggard does not plow in autumn, he will seek at harvest and have nothing. In Proverbs 26, 14 and 15, as a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hands in the dish and it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. Some folks you want to have on your workforce, aren't they? <laughs> but it seems to sometimes we want to say that this is a trivial issue, but the Thessalonian church, they had a work ethic problem. 
So what were the instructions that Paul gave to this church in terms of what they were to do? The first thing they were to do was to step away from those who refuse to work. He says, remove yourself from those that are idle and have nothing to do with them. And you see what Paul is asking the church to do, and he's doing it in no uncertain terms. He's saying, I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a heavy command as a commander to his church that you need to do this. For those that will not work, remove yourself from them. And Paul identified this problem in the church of Thessalonia because he talked about when he was with them, he exhorted them to work. And then in 1 Thessalonians, he talked about their importance to work. And now in 2 Thessalonians, he focuses almost a whole chapter on this challenge within the church. And it establishes for us a form of church discipline that you see in Matthew 18. If you see your brother sinning, go to him in private. If he doesn't listen to you, go to him with a couple of people. If that doesn't work, go with before the whole church and to mention the issue. That there was a desire to bring these brothers and sisters back into step and back into obedience. And it may very well be that these people are misusing scripture saying, but I'm poor, you need to support me. But what he's talking about is those people who are able to work but are unwilling to work. And then Paul talks about in verse 7 through 9, the importance to set the example as diligent workers. Set the example that Paul intentionally decided not to take a salary or to ask for money from this church to be able to do the work of the gospel and the work of the ministry. And he realized that his example to these people were so important that he was going to work day and night so he could minister in their presence. And he did this also to the church in Corinth, but he doesn't talk about this as a universal principle. The scripture talks about those that minister to the word of God are worthy of their wages, and it is a blessing for a church to support those who can serve and minister to the church. But in these two situations, Paul realized his example in being a worker was so important that he was going to sacrifice time to do this work of the ministry to show them what it was all about. And what you realize is what happens here is that Paul is then giving a command and an encouragement for them to get back to work. In a sense, he's saying to these folks who refuse to work, no work, no food. Now, when I was a college student, I had perfect timing when I went to visit relatives. Guess what time I usually showed up? You, you may have done that yourself, yeah. And if I couldn't make dinner, I'd show up at lunchtime, right? Like, oh, really, what's going on? But imagine you were in the church of Thessalonica and Sid, the slothful slaint, shows up at your door. Hey, folks, what's cooking? Potluck, but not for you, Sid. Move along down the road. <laughs> this potluck is not for you. You need to get working and get going. And what happens here in terms of this idleness is these people are no longer busy, but they become busy bodies. You see, a person who becomes a busybody is looking through other people's windows much more than he is looking in the mirror. The person who is becoming the busybody minds the business of others and not their own. And you can see the effect of idleness often in a lot of different ways. 
I had a lot of fun with my boys going through Boy Scouts, but I've seen what happens to a Boy Scout camp when boys, little boys and young men are off task and off purpose. There is anarchy and chaos amongst 12 to 15 year olds when they're not decisively engaged in what's going on. I've seen it in the military too where soldiers are not locked into what they're doing. You know, Franklin Roosevelt during the Great Depression, when so many people lost their jobs, he created the Civilian Conservation Corps. And it was a means to get young men to work, to be able to work with their hands and stay busy and occupied and avoided the difficulties that happen with idleness. And so this was a form of church discipline that probably had much more impact or power during that day because there was no other church. You had the church of Thessalonica or nothing else. And so as we think about the challenges of the church and maybe in our own lives, Paul provides this word of encouragement in verses 13 through 15. Don't grow weary in doing good. Remain encouraged in the hard work of discipline. It can be really exhausting and demoralizing to be a part of an unruly church. And maybe you've experienced this in times past. It is hard when disobedience and lack of following Christ starts to infect a body. And I'm so thankful for the spiritual health that we can enjoy here in Lake City. And often when you think about these attempts to help a brother or sister walk with the Lord, expectation management, when the pastor or the elders do this, often it doesn't work like you hoped it would. The few times that I've had to be a part of administering an attempt to correct a brother or sister, I never once had them say, thank you for coming to me. (laughs) Usually just the opposite happens. But here it talks about that by this work that they're supposed to bring shame upon this person who is walking an unruly life. Now, he's not talking about the church shaming that person, but he's talking about by these acts of correction for the Holy Spirit to convict their hearts. So the Spirit corrects their hearts to want to walk in a way in a manner of obedience. And any time that there's discipline or correction involved, It ought to be as a father lovingly seeking to restore his child back into the fellowship to to be done with fear and trembling and much prayer and seeking God. And it's important to realize that it may not be what he's talking about here is a template when you see this wrong behavior, do this thing, but the goal is always restoration of that brother or sister back into fellowship. And the thing that's also important for us to realize in the context of this is that we are to remember those who cannot work. And it says in Galatians 2.10, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. And so the passage is talking about those that are able to work but are unwilling to work. That we as followers of Jesus Christ ought to be aggressively generous to those who fall off and tip over into the margins. Those who have handicaps or disabilities or those who have just been overwhelmed with expenses. That we ought to be generous givers in those contexts. So God calls us to do those things. So what are some next steps for us to think about in light of what Paul has given us in these scriptures? The first step is that I will work for my real boss, Jesus. 
Don't you love the best answer in Sunday school class is the best answer here, Jesus. When I was serving as a chaplain, I sometimes teased the folks in my unit and I'd say, hey, your boss, where's the stars? My boss, he made the stars. <laughs> Commander in chief of the heavens is my boss. And you know what? You don't have to be a chaplain to be able to say that. All you have to do is I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and Jesus is my boss. That whatever I do in terms of my work it is a means of my expression of love to him by what I do as an offering of worship to him. Colossians 3.22 says it wonderfully. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as to the Lord rather than for men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Do your work to the Lord. So Jesus is your boss. And then the next step is I will set the example as God's worker. I will set the example. So as followers of Jesus Christ, our goal at work is not just to do enough to keep us from getting fired. But our goal as a worker that we ought to be the ones that are setting the standard in terms of our conscientiousness, in terms of our commitment to the task, in terms of our integrity and the thing that we bring in terms of what we do. It's kind of amazing that you've got a furniture store that actually has the title Lazy Boy, <laughs> and it does pretty good business. Matter of fact, I have a couple in my house, Lazy Boy Chairs, and the goal is not to become what I sit in. <laughs> and so what you don't want is a reputation in your workplace to be a lazy boy or a lazy girl but to do your work as unto the Lord. And really, uh, I once had a, a preaching professor who said that your, your life is the greatest sermon that you'll ever preach, so preach it, brother. And the way that we preach well our lives is by how we conduct our work and our labor. And if you think about this, when you use the word Christian, what is the punctuation at the end of the word? Is it a question mark? Christian? Or is it an exclamation point? Christian. And our goal by how we do our work is to put the exclamation point at the end of Christian and to show how important that is. And the final step is, I will remission instead of retiring. An old wise pastor shared with me once, he said, Mark, retirement means you just get a new set of tires. <laughs> A new set or derive the journey of whatever God has for you next. In a wonderful book by John Piper, he writes a book, Don't Waste Your Life. And at least in the first edition, I'm not sure if it lasted in the other ones, he starts with a story about this couple that their goal was to retire as close to 50 as possible. And their goal was to buy a beach house and enjoy walks on the beach and to collect seashells. And he said, what if they were to die at age 52 and they were to stand before the Lord and go, look, Lord, look at my seashells. What would be the Lord's response? That's all they got to show. Uh, many years ago, I was at a retirement breakfast for uh, chaplains and a, a chaplain who happened to be a brigadier general, also a lawyer and a rabbi and rabbis are such colorful folks, was the speaker. And he was talking about all that he was doing at age 80, and he was just crushing it in terms of what he was doing. And then he pounded on the podium and said, 
Retirement is not a word in the Bible. I do not believe in retirement. And he said this at the retirement breakfast. <laughs> so the, the chief of chaplains gets up and says, I guess we've got to call this something else. And it may be that if you're at that place of retirement or you're there, that you have set aside title or position, but what you have is influence to pour into others. Life experiences, you've got the t-shirt and you have the opportunity to do so much good in the lives of others and maybe more time to invest than others do. So what does this mean for us? We are made to work and we are commanded to work. That work is a part of our witness as a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you are not working and are able, get back to work. Support yourself and take responsibility for those under your care. And no matter what you do, you do it unto the Lord. Martin Luther said that the preacher who preaches the word of God, his job is almost as important. Actually, he says as important as the one who washes the dishes when they do it unto the Lord. So when Jesus comes, and really that is the theme of 2 Thessalonians, of understanding the coming of Christ and the importance for us to be ready Don't you want to be ready for that coming? Many years ago, when I was serving as an infantry lieutenant, I was a Bradley platoon leader stationed in Germany, and we were doing the gunnery range in Grafenbeer, Germany. And the company commander lieutenants don't know much, but I know that uh, you ought to do what the company commander said. And so he said, make sure you do the function checks on all the weapons systems. And so it was night gunnery, and about one o'clock in the morning, I was inside the turret of the Bradley doing that. And all of a sudden, I look up, and as I looked up, the head looking down was my company commander. And I thought, whew, I got caught doing right for a change. You know, <laughs> that felt really good, that uh, you were doing what your company commander told you to do at a time where it was inconvenient to do it. But wouldn't you want that to be your life as a follower of Jesus? That whenever Jesus comes, and by the way, she says it's going to be a surprise, that he looks down and comes on down, and you look up, and you're doing exactly what he wanted you and called you to do. So, brothers and sisters, let's get caught doing right by Jesus. Your work matters to God. Let's pray. Lord, what, a, what an amazing thing that as we pray to you, we are praying to a God who is a master worker. And we are praying to a God who commands us to work and to work as unto you. And we are grateful to a God who gives us work as a gift. And I thank you, Lord, that as our Lord and Savior, that whatever we do, it can be a means of expression of our love and devotion to you, a way to love and serve others in the workplace as we love and serve you. So, Lord, inspire us, motivate us, keep us diligent and intentional in what we do so you may catch us doing right. Amen.